If you are a mental health professional who wants to have a bigger impact on the world, help more people, and grow your business all at the same time, then you're in the right place. With every episode, we're here to help you discover new ideas, gain new insights, and get the step-by-step strategies that you need to grow your private practice with confidence. I'm Sarah Gershon, and along with my co-host, Howard Baumgarten, we welcome you to PsychBiz. We're so glad you're here. Hey, Sarah, we're back, and I'm so excited to be with you in 2022. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm great. Well, it's a new year. And yeah. we we launched our podcast last year and here we are making more episodes and this particular episode uh is our interview with Lisa Ibequi who uh we actually interviewed last year and um you know better late than never save the best <laughs> for the last great way to kick off the year for the first of the year you know, I'm glad we kind of held on to this episode and we held it f- for over through the holidays and through our hiatus because to me, uh, kicking the season or the year, I should say, off with uh, Ms. Ibequi is such a great way to kind of start 2022. She was so lovely and wonderful to talk with uh, last year. Didn't, didn't you? Don't you agree? And I think she's such an inspiring person to listen to because she has so much enthusiasm and she has such big ideas and so much vision that I think that a lot of our listeners are going to really find that they can relate to a lot of what she talks about and also they can really be inspired by a lot of what she talks about. So I think it's a great way to start the new year with this burst of energy and and inspiration. She's... um a very talented licensed clinical social worker, um, you know, several certifications and specialties and uh, lives in Georgia, um, only uniquely and interestingly operates a clinical group practice that really spans into six other states in addition to Georgia. And, you know, that was one of the reasons that attracted us to, to her in terms of, um, you know, interviewing her and finding out how, how do you, how do you, if you're interested in building a group practice, um, how do you do that? And, and, and thanks to you for introducing us because you, how do you know her again? So I actually worked with her to build her website for her group practice and uh, it was a great experience. And I really got to see kind of from the inside how much she really is committed to, you know, the values that lead her to grow her practice and how that's kind of propelling her and motivating her to continue to grow because she really sees a need in her community. She wants to meet that need in a lot of really, you know, creative and ambitious ways. And I think that it's just really fantastic to learn more about what she's doing, how she's doing it, and also just kind of hear about the different things that she's very committed to accomplishing. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, her website is called The Comfy Place, and you did such a nice job with her website. So if you want to see an, um, a sample of Sarah's website extraordinary artistic creations, uh, you can look at The Comfy Place and learn more about Lisa Ibequi and hopefully, of course, learn more about her in this interview. And so without further ado, here's our next episode with Lisa. We hope you really enjoy it. 
Hi, everyone. Today, we're super excited to have Lisa from The Comfy Place here to join us and talk about her amazing group practice and all of the wonderful stuff she's doing. Lisa, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit, just kind of give listeners a background about yourself and about The Comfy Place? Yes. Hi, everybody. Um, thank you for listening in. I'm Lisa Bickley. I'm actually a licensed clinical social worker. Um, I'm physically located in Georgia but I'm actually licensed in a number of states as well outside of Georgia. So we'll share those in the, the details so we don't bore you right now. But um, the Comfy Place, we started off as like a child and adolescent therapy space, but really we've always been a space for all people to heal. So regardless of sex, age, you know, beliefs, all people are welcome. And that's really what our motto and our vision is. Just create safe spaces where people can heal. And so tell us a little bit, because I know that you've grown so much. So you you now have multiple locations, correct? I do. I do. Um, <laughs> I was like, I've grown bigger than my head can manage. You know, but, um, <laughs> so we started off in um, Macon, where I got like my first office space. And um, it was just myself in the practice. And then because I'm actually from Georgia, born and raised, I'm a Georgia beach. Um, <laughs> I actually wanted to also have something that was close to home. So I didn't want to start directly in the county I grew up in just because there was already, um, it was already inundated with therapists. So I wanted to be in spaces where there wasn't a lot of access. And that's how I ended up in Hiram out there. So needless to say, I've been bouncing back and forth between those places. And then voila, COVID hits. You know, right. you open your doors in February and then March, you're put in timeout for months right. at this point. <laughs> So I um, actually decided to look into licensure in a few other states to support between COVID and then the Black Lives Matter movement. There was just a lot of things going on. And yeah. that's how we ended up expanding into other states. Um, right now, we are in New Jersey, Massachusetts, Florida, New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine. And wow. um, previously, we were in Montana and, well, uh, Montana and Minnesota. So as I've seen the need, and I'm still working with some of the people in these different areas, um, do plan on keeping the locations. Well, we're virtual right now in those spaces, but we plan on remaining virtual. And then as COVID kind of starts to mellow out and hopefully go away, because we're tired at this point, <laughs> as it starts to mellow out and go away, we hope to actually get um, locations so we can support the people that have reached out to us in those areas. So Lisa, did you just, did you take the licensing exams for all these states in order to expand? No, <laughs> I would not have had the energy for that. So because I'm fully licensed in Georgia, um, these states have reciprocity, but um, for some of the states during the COVID period, they were allowing people to be temporarily licensed. So it allowed us to serve because of the crisis that was going on and the lack of providers that were available. Because so it gave me the, oh, go ahead. What? Because you're because you're base what you're saying is is that um, you're setting up in to reach to people that are in rural areas that have low accessibility and that's why they let you in basically. Well, so they let in a lot of providers just because of the pandemic, um, where we could we had to apply for licensure like temporary licensure in those states. So a lot of us um, that chose to pursue those routes, not everybody did, not everybody was approved, but um, we're able to do that. And then for myself in particular, 
because of the needs that I've seen in specific areas, I'm choosing to remain in certain areas. So now I'm going through that long drawn out process of fighting with the board on what am I missing? What do I need? Can you give a sister a pass? (laughs) (laughs) Kind of thing. Um, And that's where we're going to be permanently in those spaces. So even though it's a, uh, there's a lot of administrative adversity in all of this, you did something very interesting that I, you know, I encourage a lot of my clinicians that I work with in helping them build their business model. You, you saw a, a global adverse scenario in both the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement. And you said, we need to reach people and we need to take this opportunity to expand while it's in front of us, even though you, you probably didn't even realize what you were signing up for in terms of the hassles, right? <laughs> I definitely did not. I think it was it was a way bigger expansion and a way bigger vision than I realized I had. Because if I'm honest, part of my mission and journey into going into these places, because I'm particularly a child and adolescent therapist, I got a number of adults that reached out and want to work with me and that I worked with during the pandemic. But I tell every adult I get, I'm a little different. (laughs) So don't say you weren't warned before you come into my space. (laughs) But um, there's not a lot of child and adolescent therapists who actually know how to work with children. And what we find is that there's a ton of providers who do, you know, 14 and up and they do teens and up, but there's not a lot of people who know how to work with kids effectively. Um, so for me, I wanted to make sure that I provided not only that opportunity, but then I was able to provide it to people who needed it, whether it was because they were looking for a BIPOC therapist or because there was an extensive trauma need. And, you know, some trauma therapists are trained in TFCBT, you know, talk therapy, CBT, but trauma therapists who are trained in things like EMDR and brain spotting and can use them with children, they're a little bit harder to find or they're really full. So for me, despite the fact that, you know, I'm full and probably should chill out, like taking people, my, my mindset was that whatever state we get in, even if I'm not able to work with them by training the people underneath me to make sure they have the same skills, if not better, it ensures that people get quality service where they, where they are. And that is also affordable because I think that was another big thing that we were seeing um, was the barrier being cost. When you look at um, how communities are designed at the marginalizations and all those pieces systemically, certain groups may be able to afford you know, therapy versus others. And I'm a firm believer that that, should not, that shouldn't be the case, that there's opportunities and there's a need. So we just need to figure out how to merge the two. That's phenomenal. That's amazing. I love that philosophy so much. So, I mean, talk to us more about, well, I mean, so let's start here. I know that things kind of grew. What was your original vision, right, when you were kind of starting this? And then how has that evolved and changed over time? I just think it's really interesting. Um, Yeah. So kind of tell us about that part of things. Definitely. So the irony is when I started, um, we were a therapeutic space for children and animals because I love both groups and I think that they are oftentimes overlooked. But um, what we transformed into was um, a therapeutic space for all people. And the reason for that was because, um, you know, I am seen as black on the outside, but I'm actually African in descent. So Mm -hmm. when I look at the difference in culture, when I look in the difference being male versus female, um, you know, the, the different stats that come with things, there's spaces where people just want to come and be present. They don't, mm-hmm. they don't want to feel judged. They don't want whatever it is they're coming in with 
to um, have the therapist form a opinion or a vision about them. So starting off and with the idea of we'll specifically be a space for children where we'll work on certain pieces and then the team growing <laughs> bigger than what I thought it would be because, you know, I was not expecting to be a group practice. I was going to be a okay. solo practitioner. Um, and I had the first person apply and I'm like, okay, come on in. And this is part of the learning curve. I did not know how to hire. I did not know how to filter who I was hiring. Um, so it's definitely been some pieces with knowing the systems and building the systems of growing a business. So I, the reason I say that is because we've always been a space for all people, but then as we have grown and different people have joined the family, I've actually expanded the type of services. So that's why we have services for adults. Um, that's why we have, you know, yoga, uh, yoga trauma-informed yoga services coming in and animal-assisted services coming in, um, working with couples. These things may not necessarily be my specialty, but what I do find is that when a person trusts you, they oftentimes come to you for more than one thing. So if we are a space where we can either provide them with resources to the right places or we can actually serve them, it helps them in that moment when they're in crisis, get what they need versus sending them back on that merry-go-round of, hey, who's available? Can you assist me? You know, what's this going to look like? And then our overall vision of just being a therapeutic space for all people to heal has really tied in because now when people come into the comfy place at either one of our offices, they really do feel comfy. They feel cozy. You know, our lighting is set to be that, um, that supportive and soft environment, but then our therapists are also real to the extent of, you know, you acting out, we're going to let you know, but we're also going to be that sounding board for when you need it. That sounds so amazing. So I'm really curious to hear more about kind of the lessons that you learned as you started to grow. You said that you had to learn how to hire people and how to kind of um, go through that process. Tell us more about that because that sounds fascinating and, <laughs> and super challenging. I mean, I can imagine that it would be really, really hard, especially when you imagine being a solo practitioner and then you start bringing other people on. Definitely. It, it's, it was a pain in the butt, but it was one of those that you, I'm happy that I've had the experiences I've had to learn from. Um, the one thing I remember people telling me, um, and I'll say my brother so that he gets his shout out, but he <laughs> told me about systems. Systems are super important. I really thought I just needed, you know, like an EHR system to keep notes in and that that would suffice. But as I started to work with clients and would get certain questions and bring people on board, systems needed to change. Because if you have an independent contractor versus an employee, there are different systems that you're going to interface with. You need to know what you're working with. So one, you don't get sued and two, so you don't get in trouble. <laughs> so right, um, yeah, that was part of the learning curve of, okay, I started out with independent contractors and then realizing that legally they weren't independent contractors and needed to be employees and trying to switch all of that in the matter of two weeks to meet, you know, expectations before the new year started. Um, even some of the learning curves of training people that come on board. So how do you teach someone to use your system and um, get them to embody the vision of what your practice is. A lot of our, well, pretty much all of our therapists understand that the comfy place, we're a family. If whether you are an employee working with us or you are a client that, you know, reaches out to us wanting to join, you are part of our comfy place family. And we all know we have family members we got to put out from time to time. But at the, at the end of the day, we say that because we let our people know you can always come back and as you need. Family's always going to be there. So it gives them that space of, I know I'm never truly alone. 
and I have the support, but then I also have the people to hold me accountable and push me when I need to, you know, get that, that boost. So the systems are important because they protect your business. They ensure that you get the right people who will, you know, enforce and embody the mission and vision you have for your practice, but then they also protect your clients too and who you're serving. I love, I love what you're saying about setting up systems. And so um, I want to give a shout out to your brother for that (laughs) because, um, you know, no, I, I I think it's great. I've always, uh, when I was doing my grad um, uh, class in teaching principles of building private practice uh, at university of Colorado, I talked about uh, diversification through systematization, right? You diversify what you're doing while setting up systems and that protects your liability. Right. And so that's because I want you to talk a little bit about liability. Like what was your experience with with liability protection and has what has it been and what is it? What do you do going forward? Definitely. So, one, I have to commend you for even being able to teach that class at a university, because as someone who went through, you know, a social work program and has been in the field for a little bit, they don't teach us that when we're in school. They, they don't talk about the fact that, you know, you can make a living and not scrape pennies as a social worker or as a counselor in the field. They don't teach you how to run a business. And that's important to know because a lot of us start in the game because we have the heart. We want to help people, but we sometimes overlook the necessities that come with that, which means keeping the lights on. <laughs> like we can't have a comfy space if we don't got no bills paid. <laughs> so we all got to get this together. Um, but helping people understand where that balance comes in. So um, to answer your questions, like liability wise, I always, always emphasize to the therapists that work under me, whether you are newly graduated and just have a master's and are working towards licensure, or you have a license period, don't ever let someone take away eight plus years of your work and the the amount of debt that you still ain't paid off. (laughs) Because regardless of if you lose that license because of one complaint or one accident or whatever it may be, you still owe that money. So I'm I'm really big on making sure, you know, one, we do not harm clients in terms of the way we're practicing and practicing within the scope of what you're actually trained in. But then two, ensuring that, um, you know, that the therapists that work with me understand the importance of protecting their licensure. So doing things ethically, making sure you have your documentation, crossing those T's, dotting those I's. When I was coming up under other people working in different spaces, I hated the amount of documentation we had to do. But now that I'm in this field where we actually work with people, I understand why there's so much in regards to liability. Yeah. All of that, so by the way, all of that falls under what I call the general concept of clinical integrity, right? Clinical yeah. integrity is good business, right? Yeah. And I think some, what sometimes happens is because we are a helping field, it feels like the lines blur. But that's why, you know, it's really big that people stay up to date on the ethics of their profession because, you know, with the pandemic and people working from home and, you know, so many people being in crises, it's just, I feel like it's changing the way things look now. And even with other, um, as I'm sure you guys know, with the way the field is transitioning with so many conglomerates, I call them the Walmarts of therapy coming in now. They are not all practitioners. (laughs) They don't understand the ethics of our field and they're just picking up people where they can. If you are a licensed professional, you have way more to lose than a company who can afford an attorney to defend them. So it's that idea of like making sure you don't harm your clients by 
saying, hey, this is about as far as I can go with this piece based on, you know, my skill level, but then um, emphasizing to clients too, you know, with liability, we want to protect your information. We want to keep you safe in the spaces that we're using to do therapy. And then for the business, we want to protect the business too, making sure that, you know, it's insured and it's following the rules it's supposed to follow. Because I know for me, I'm a clinician in the practice, but I'm also the owner. So I tell the therapists that work underneath me, you can get a job somewhere else. This is attached to my name. So if something happens, I will forever be the person that's burned. So it's one of those, how do you make sure that like, again, the systems are in place so everybody is protected. That sounds amazing. And I think that one of the things that's so impressive to me about what you've done is that, you know, I, I think that a lot of therapists kind of start out as a solo practitioner. And then the idea of kind of, you know, moving to a group practice, like set, starting a group practice or kind of expanding can feel super overwhelming. And there's a lot of different pieces. And I mean, everything you've just talked about, are, there's just all examples of the kinds of things that can feel so overwhelming to people. And I love that you kind of have embraced that and dealt with it and kind of piece by piece gone through and done what you need to do to kind of keep growing. And you've got this amazing momentum of like, you see a need and you just kind of step forward to try to figure out a way to meet that need. So how do you do that from a mental perspective? Like, how do you get into this? Like, what is your mindset and how do you get into this mindset where you don't kind of get scared away from kind of taking these big steps forward? Okay. So first I'll say, I'll admittedly admit that I've cried multiple times <laughs> in the process of this journey because, and I, I say that humbly because I do want people to understand that it is not easy. Um, you know, I have people underneath me that one day want to open their own practice. And I think they see, you know, the little bit of sleep that I get, the amount of running around that I do. Um, and it just, it takes way more work sometimes than I think people realize because they just see the financial gain. But the truth of the matter is there's some financial gain, but when you think about the cost that you have to put in and the cost that you're always liable for, are you ready to risk that? In particular for me, um, one, I'm a very purpose-driven person, um, you know, not to get super spiritual, but I feel that the life that I have left is meant for something. So um, with seeing the way the pandemic happened and knowing that, you know, so many people were gone just in a blink of an eye, I feel like being able to survive that means that there's still more that I need to do. And for me, my purpose is helping people heal in whatever capacity that may be, whether it's through therapy, whether it's through advocacy, whether it's through, you know, um, supporting, it's the idea of, I want to encourage people to heal, talk about what they've been through so that they get out of this space of I'm just surviving. And now I'm actually thriving because we, we're trained to go through the motions. We're trained to survive. That's what our body does, but very few people know how to thrive. So for me, I think the, the background of seeing my mom work as hard as she did, the two or three jobs at a time, and even myself now working in my own practice, I work PR in somewhere else too, <laughs> despite trying to run a group practice. And it's not because of necessity, but it's that idea of being able to stay rooted in things and letting people know, I understand what you're going through, but I also know if you put your intention in what it is you're trying to do, you can get to where you need to go. And I, I know I had... Um, Back to my brother. I remember one time he told me because I was like, oh, the stock market's crashing with the pandemic. OK, you should help me invest. I'm going to just give you the money. You put it in. 
He was like, nah, Blaya, slow down. <laughs> first investment should be in you and your business. And he was like, every cent that you're thinking about pushing into something else, you need to be putting back into your business because if you invest in your business, that's going to be what gives you the revenue, the, the resources. It's going to give you the outcomes that you want to where now you can have the additional pieces to go put into something else. And every time that I've been like, oh, should I, how should this happen? You know, family and friends and even the therapists that work with me with the efforts that they put in as part of our family have encouraged me like, okay, we're doing something that needs to be done. We are helping people that need the help. And if we continue with this, we will reach the people that need us because we're not meant for everybody. I, I say that from the beginning when people reach out, we ain't for everybody, but there are certain times and spaces in people's life when they are meant to cross paths with someone. So my belief is that if that's the case and we're meant to cross paths with you, then we're meant to cross paths with you. And we will do what we can to help you heal while we're in your space. I'm, I'm coming through this technology and reaching out and giving you a big hug right now. <laughs> I, I, you are talking my language, girl. I'm, I'm telling you, listen to this, listen to this. Here, but he, uh, here's what I want to say is that what, what you have done is what I hopefully have done in my work, but also tried to teach my students. And that is um, uh, entrepreneurship in our field is about unlocking the passion and desire that you have to heal. It's not about the financial gain. And you're right. People look at your, your what you've done, and it's it's so interesting how people kind of climb into bias, right? They 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 go, oh, well, this person must be doing all of this because you know he or she or they want to. Uh, um, you know, amass a lot of money or whatever. But the reality is I can, I can tell from, from the way you're talking that this is about passion and reaching people. That's why you went, went into states that have, have, have you know, uh, uh, less, less um, uh, counselors available, especially in rural areas. And, and you know, you, uh, children matter to you uh, as another uh, angle or example. And I think what happens then is the money that you earn, and this is something that I've always said to other practitioners and my students, as I mentioned, the money that you earn sustains the build of the practice. It sustains the practice itself and then gives you a little bit left over so that you can live comfortably enough, right? So that's really what the model is. Do you agree? I do. And I will say, I will add uh, some more pieces to that because the way... Um, my model is designed in particular, I'm really big on taking care of my people. Um, even though some of them are older than me, we're all different ages, they're my munchkins. I'm passionate about taking care of my family. So with me being big on loyalty, but then also knowing that if I'm gonna have somebody working for me, I don't want them to be homeless. I don't want them to have to worry about how bills will get paid. So that was one of the reasons why, you know, when I bring on people and I'm hiring, I make sure that I'm offering, you know, well above what livable wage would be because I don't want them to have to suffer just because they're in mental health. But, you know, when you think about the pressure, that also puts pressure on me too because it's like, okay, girl, you got to make sure you see more people to keep it all in. But I also tell the therapist, everything that you put into the practice gets reinvested back into you through trainings, through benefits, through opportunities. It's the idea of, you know, working at the comfy place. We, we know that we're going to get paid well and we know that we're going to get everything we need so we can have a stress-free environment where we do what we love. 
I, I tell everybody my motto in terms of, um, the professional space is I have a, um, no stress policy. <laughs> like I say it at every interview, I say it to all my employees. I don't play. I have a no stress policy. Don't stress me out. And I won't stress you out. We good to go. I say that to the clients too, <laughs> because my mentality is if you are stressed out, you cannot do good work. And it shows, you feel that it changes the energy that you bring into the room. But if you are stress-free and you're actually doing what you love and you're helping people, the kind of um, work that you'll be able to do is elevated to another level. So with the therapist, I've, I've ensured that, you know, or to the best of my ability, I've tried to make sure that our environment is a stress-free environment where people can actually work, get paid well, get the things that they need, feel like the company actually wants them to win and succeed regardless of how long they're with us. And then the same thing for the clients, because we are teaching them that too, that we want you to win. We are on your team. We're going to push you to thrive, to, to want the best for yourself. And we're going to model that for you in case you've never had it modeled before. So it's two parts of like, yes, there's financial gain, but I think too, sometimes people think go out and charge these like crazy rates and people are going to pay them we are really big on making sure our rates are affordable because even myself as a licensed clinical social worker and the different trainings and certifications that I've done, I still make sure that my rates are affordable for where people can afford to get the healing that they need. There's nothing worse than wanting to help people. And then you cost too much that you can't really help people. So then what are you doing? So, so how, how, how do you, how do you have a model that has, a, and I really want this for our listeners to understand this, I think I know what the answer is, but I want I want to hear it from you. How how do you create a business where you are able to charge affordable rates and pay your clinicians a high salary? We have um, it's I guess you could say it's a tiered system. So based on the clinicians um, like certification or master's level, that kind of stuff that determines the rates that the client would pay. So we give, it in essence gives everyone an opportunity to say, okay, I may not be able to afford to work with Lisa directly. And to be honest, Lisa's probably full and doesn't have any availability anyway. But here's an associate licensed clinician that has affordable rates that I could pay out of pocket if my insurance doesn't cover it. Here's a master's level clinician who is just as skilled and is being trained, but they just have the masters as they're working towards licensure. Maybe I can afford this rate. And we've even been fortunate that we um, have gotten into the intern realm so for some of our families who maybe have Medicaid and, you know, they don't want to work with the core community type agency, they have the opportunity to work with someone who's also being trained and supervised by myself. Um, and we accept insurance. So granted, in some of the other states, you know, when you start talking insurance across state lines, it's a little bit trickier, but um, we accept insurance as a way to also offset costs because a lot of people that have it want to be able to use it. And we're a firm believer, if you already pay for it, we have no problem letting you use it. But we make sure that we offer ample opportunities in terms of what it will cost, in terms of sliding scale, um, and in terms of taking insurances so that people can really get what they need. It's a, it's a diversified hybrid model, and I love yes. it. I've always preached that. And a lot of uh, uh, people I work with say, I don't want to accept insurance. It's a pain. And so the, the people and, and, I, and there's nothing it against is. people who don't accept insurance. You're right. It is a pain. But you know what's interesting? It's, it's, I always go back and forth because if you don't accept insurance, then you have a, a lot more volatility in client flow 
And yet at the same time, you gain more time to do things like market if you like doing that sort of thing. And 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 so it's it's kind of a balance, right? It's it, you know, which is better? I, for me personally, I don't think either one is like better than the other. And in particular, I say that just because our our mission of helping um, all people heal means that we want to be accessible to all people. Beautiful. Whether you're in the you know the cuts of Georgia or you're in you know an urban city part of you know New Hampshire, the idea is you have an option to pay if you want or utilize insurance if you want. And even if you want to pay and can't afford it. We offer what we are able to. And if we can't, then we make sure we get you some referrals to the best of our ability. Because I know right now, like, you know, insurance is such a hassle with the pandemic. I think consumers don't really understand how much stress therapists were under, how much stress clinicians were under to meet the expectations of insurance, keep up with all the stuff that they demand of us to send over to them just to be reimbursed. And, um, you know, I say this to any consumers who may be listening, don't take it personal. There's a number of, you know, therapists who maybe have decided against it because of all the extra steps that are required, but there are some who have not and are open to it. But I think that's where the honest and upfront collaboration and communication with the people you serve comes in handy. If you let them know, look, we we take insurance as a way to support and assist, but we also know that there's limitations to that that are outside of our control. You need to be aware of what you have and what you have access to from the beginning. So if anything does happen or come up, um, you know, we'll be able to sort it out. And that's where, you know, we get that mixture of being able to serve some that have insurance and being able to say, serve some that can afford out of pocket. So, and I really love your commitment to being able to make your services accessible to a wide range of people. And then kind of the other side of that coin is how to get your message out there to enough people so that they know to come and access your services, right? You have to, people have to know that you're there. So how do you, how do you approach doing that? How do you approach um, marketing or just being visible so that you can reach the communities and the different people that you want to reach and let them know that you're available? So one, I have to say the awesome website, Mystera Design. Um, <laughs> this is a plug for Mystera guys, because I, I went through the process of getting a website design with like two or three other people and it was like trash. So Miss Sarah helped me finally get a website that made sense and it embodied the vision of what I had in my head. And, you know, I got a lot of stuff in my head, so she made it work. But um, we actually took a twofold process to marketing. I think a lot of people, because we're in the virtual space and things were shut down, a lot of people just thought online is the only way to go. And SEO and Google ads are the only way to go. And those are great. And they do work to a certain extent. You know, it, it depends on the area, too. But... I, I also went old school because, you know, with the pandemic, we couldn't go door to door and go to the networking events and hand out cards like we used to prior to. So I've sent out mail to people, sending out letters, you know, with cards and um, brochures, um, doing things like sending out emails to people that we had emails for just to establish contact. And when I could, attending virtual networking opportunities, um, trainings, mixing and mingling with different people to open those forms of communication. And then the other part too, is just being present in the spaces where, you know, clients will access. Cause I know there's a few directories where yes, a lot of people may go and that's how they see you. But I've also made sure I've taken advantage of opportunities where maybe somebody reaches out and they need, you know, a donation or they need support for an event they're doing. 
the comfy place is always ready to support people because that's how we, we get out there. That's how we let people know that we are a resource here in the community. So we've been fortunate that like, um, I think it was in Boston and then either Vermaine or New Hampshire, uh, Vermaine, <laughs> it might've been New Hampshire. I was like, my bad guys, you're in too That's many places. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Like all the states have merged. But um, I like sporadically had a news outlet reach out to me. And I'm oh, like, wow. wait, you don't want somebody in the state that's like physically there doing therapy? And I think one, it's, you know, in terms of like, I think it's a blessing just because I was chosen to do that and I was able to, and people see it and they get the resources they need. But, um, but two, doing quality work with people when they reach out, because word of mouth will always be a game changer in this field. If you get a ton of referrals, but you're a shitty therapist, <laughs> it does not matter how many referrals you get, you won't keep them long. So making sure that you are actually delivering quality when people come to you, because that's what's going to get your name out there further, but then not being scared to locally network with people, sending out stuff in the mail. It may cost an arm and a leg, but it's one of those, um, I think for some people, they respect that more because although people go to the internet now a lot and they, they can still do that, it's almost like, wait, this person took out time to write me a letter and to send me some information. So now I have something tangible take with me and to share. That's wonderful. And are you on social media much? Is that something that you focus on that you avoid? Like what's your, what's your perspective on that? We definitely use social media. We, we use it a lot. Um, we have, uh, you know, we have the Instagram, the LinkedIn, the, um, Twitter, and I even tried TikTok, but I don't know if I'm built for that. <laughs> so I might have to get someone younger to help me figure out TikTok but, um, and Facebook. And we've been really intentional about the content that we're producing. So a lot of our content has, yes, been to celebrate different um, you know, holidays and different events and things like that. But we've also tried to make sure we provide content that is informative. So, you know, talking about trauma, talking about anxiety, sharing different resources, even to outside um you know, agencies or places where people can get more information to follow up. We utilize social media, I want to say heavily in terms of sharing our brand and our message. Because when you send out marketing material, marketing material is like the business card. It says, hi, this is who I am. Here's something that you can check out to learn more about me. Whereas social media is like the commercial about yourself every time you put something out. Here's our brand. And this is what we believe in and we want you to understand and have access to this information. So we definitely use our, our pages. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And is that something that you do? I'm just curious because, you know, you have so, you have so much going on. And so is that something you can delegate out to some other people? Do you round table, like let different people take a turn doing stuff or do oh. you do it all yourself? Or like, I, I just, it seems like, it seems like you've got a lot on your plate. So how do you deal with that? Oh, I definitely have a lot on my plate. So I don't do the social media myself. Um, I actually worked with someone who we brought on, who was assisting with, you know, uh, creating our content. And we actually work collaboratively. So we would work on coming up with our themes, the content that we want to put out there, what's our message going to be for the month? You know, what celebrations do we want to highlight? And um, they were the creator in terms of actually creating the content and posting it for us. So it gave me the opportunity to still have a say in this is what we want, the story we want to tell with our brand. And then it allowed me by having that, like delegating that out to someone who has the skill, because I do not have those kind of skills, but um, delegating it out to someone who has the skills 
to draw and um, make the content so that it was original. Um, and I say this for me personally, I was determined to be different. I think it's just the way I am naturally. I didn't want to go for um, the, the same things that you see. And if you look at our social media, especially our, our uh, Instagram page, you'll see how it started off with just quotes when it was just me and how it's transformed into actual engaging graphics that tells the story that shares information. And that was because I want it to be something that's inspirational and motivational when you get on there. But I also want you to walk away having learned something that maybe you can incorporate in your life, whether it's for your child, whether it's for yourself, you know, there's always something you can gain from that content. So that's kind of how we've balanced that out. But it's definitely a team effort. Nobody can do anything alone. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> Well, and I love that balance. Like, I think that's phenomenal. I think that's phenomenal. Um, so to ask sort of a different type of question, but also one that is related, how do you keep yourself going with all of these different pieces and so much responsibility and also a big vision? And, you know, I'm sure that that vision continues to grow and evolve and change and, and everything. So how do you keep yourself from burning out? How do you keep yourself motivated and, and functional with all of these different things on your plate? Well, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I haven't mastered that a hundred percent. Yeah. I am honest with my clients. So if I ever, I feel like I'm reaching a point where, you know, I need to check out for a second. I do make sure I, you know, don't schedule clients around that period because as a human, you have to stay refueled. Otherwise, you are no longer of service to the people you're working with. So um, what some of the things that I've tried to be more intentional about, especially this year, as I've gotten into the group practice space was um, cutting off at a certain time. I kid you not, I used to be the person that would work nine to eight. And it was multiple days of the week. And I worked every day of the week, <laughs> from PRN at the hospital to working in practice, seeing clients on the weekend. And then I was driving two hours back and forth between both offices. So that was the work of the devil. Although I've survived it, <laughs> I was like, I'm not doing that anymore. I actually do need to get up in the morning and work out. I actually do need to make time to pray. I actually do need to make time to check out of therapy because um, I don't know if people understand, like when you are a therapist, you're holding space for people. You're like a sponge that is absorbing the pain and whatever it is that the person is bringing in. When you've done a few back-to-back -back trauma sessions and you've absorbed and you have no room left in your sponge, you have to unleash that somewhere. You have to put it out somewhere. So it goes beyond just self-care. I'm going to go to the spa, get my nails done, but more so I'm going to be intentional about how I schedule. So for me now, it would be easy for me to say work Sunday through Sunday and see people every day of the week. And there's plenty of clients for me to be able to do that. But realistically, I wouldn't last very long and I could not support my family in you know, the practice if I did that. So I have a cutoff time. And it's one of those, you know, where it's like, unfortunately, if you want to work with me, you have to accommodate. Um, I make sure that I actually do work out at some point. If I've gone too long, I get out there and, you know, go for a walk, go for a swim. Um, and although I'm, I'm an emotional eater, so sorry guys, <laughs> truth revealed, I, I tried to force myself to, you know, lay low on the ice cream so that when I'm not <laughs> working out, the poundages <laughs> won't be stacking on. 
But I, I also tell my clients the same thing too, because it's easy to disconnect mm-hmm. for all of us to have gone through the pandemic and been, you know, a punishment for almost a year or two now. It's easy to feel like you're disconnected from the world. So sometimes you actually do need to go out and get involved in something. You need to go for a walk, hang out with friends or family. Um, I love my mom to death. And we have this thing where we watch like African movies whenever I go home, <laughs> like for the weekend. So I have some times when I'll go out and turn up. No clients see me. If you're out there, just ignore me. But um, <laughs> I also have those times where I'm at home and it's just a weekend of binge watching African movies with my mom. And it's recharging because I'm like, not only did I connect and, you know, touch base with family, I got to step away and, you know, reset myself. So when I start again the next day, I can be there for my clients in the capacity that they need me to be. I, I love those answers. I, I, I always have this thing. I have this thing of like, you know, the, the clients that you see on Friday morning or afternoon after a whole week need to need to be as cared for as the clients you see on Monday. Yeah. Uh, and, and because they don't, you know, they don't know the, um, the difference, but we do. And we, and we have to make sure that we're servicing them. And I, I love how you talked about work-life balance and what you need to recharge and how important it is. I think clinicians in business don't think about, um, taking care of themselves enough. And, you know, uh, we, we, we don't talk about self-care enough. And I, the other thing you said that was really important is I'm honest with my clients I love that sort of transparency because we're human. And when we humanize our own experience, as long as we're not overstepping and asking our clients to help us, which is what they, they scare you in graduate school about that, right? Like, you know, don't. Respect those ethics. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, and so I think a lot of clinicians come out and they sort of are so detached because they're afraid of making the mistake of saying, yeah, I had a stressful week or, or I need to tell you that, um, you know, uh, I've got to, I've got to focus a little refocus or a lot of times I'll be with the client and I'll say to my client, uh, can you repeat that? Uh, I, I, especially online when you're doing remote, right? Uh, you know, you get distracted and it's so much more authentic and appropriate to ask them to repeat that and tell them why so that they know you're human. Yeah. Um, you know? I, we, I've always made sure I, I say that to them. Like when they come in, I say, I'm going to keep it real with you. Yeah, I love <laughs> that keep it all the way real. Because if there's one thing that I won't do is after being in so many other spaces where the systems were more rigid and working under people, I was determined to be real when I came into this space. And ironically, one of our models um, that I use, and it's like on our wall, is have fun, get real, and heal. Because for us, are we feel like the vision of therapy does not have to be this scary, daunting thing. You can have fun while you're healing. But um, as you're doing that, we also are going to keep it real with you because the, what I tell my kids a lot, mental health is not an excuse. Having a, di- a disorder or a diagnosis is not an excuse to hurt someone or to, to show malice towards somebody. Um, I can't get mad and then beat someone up and be like, well, I was mad. I was in my feelings. No, it's still illegal. It's still not okay. So I'm really big on letting them know that the world is going to judge you regardless of how much work you put in, but the, the journey of healing is for you. Healing is internal because no one outside is going to really know or understand what you're going through and how it's affecting you. Healing comes from within. So when you heal, everything else that happens outside means nothing because it doesn't affect you the way it should if you are in a better, more sound, safer space within yourself. So when I share that with them, I'm like, 
I'm going to keep it real with you because I'm human. If I don't did 20 some odd sessions in two days, I, I'm going to let you know we need to reschedule. But I also make sure I'm intentional about how I schedule to begin with to prevent that. So that's why, like, having done what I did for the first few years and in the height of the pandemic, when everyone was in crisis, when everyone was losing people left and right and so much grief and trauma and you're holding that space to where I'm now, I'm like, because my schedule is so hectic and I want to support my clients, but I also have a, a family, a team of therapists that work with me that I have to support. I may not be able to do weekly sessions. If I do weekly sessions, it may not be every week of the month. It may be a certain number of weeks so that I can recharge for one of those weeks and still get the things that I have to get done as a business owner, as a sister, as a leader, as a whoever, person in general, as a cat mom, <laughs> you know? So I, I let them know, like, this is what my ability is. This is what I can do capacity wise. It's nothing against you. And it does not mean I cannot help you or don't want to. But realistically speaking, what I have learned about myself, about my, uh, my body, about my brain and what it needs is that this is what I'm able to offer. And as a result, I think people end up respecting that more because they're like, okay, well, shit, she kept it real. (laughs) So she may not be able to see me all the time, but we're going to make this time count when I got it. And they appreciate that more than someone who's like, sit on the couch, lay down and tell me how you feel. Because that doesn't really get you where you need to go. It's the Band-Aid for a wound and wounds need air to heal. So let's air it out. Keep it 100. Keeping it real. Have fun. Get real and heal. Your mission statement that describes your entire philosophy and the whole business that you've built so beautifully spoken by you. Oh, thank you. You're going to make me cry thug tears. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. It's one of those, like, when you start, you don't realize this is where you'll be in a little bit of time. And I think the mere fact that, you know, I'll hear people say sometimes, like, we got that feeling of warmth from your website, from your video, Um, you know, the message that you share, we actually feel that. It always touches my heart because I'm like, this is my calling. And the fact that I'm able to fulfill my purpose and fulfill my calling and I am helping someone, it just, you know, it's like, yes, if I go tomorrow, I know I've done something with this vessel that I'm I'm in. So thank you for that. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for coming and talking with us today. I have enjoyed every minute of this conversation. I think that everything you do is amazing. And I think you're amazing. And I think that our <laughs> listeners learned so much from hearing both like your the, the way you think about things and the strategic way that you kind of approach different issues and different problems. And also the, just the inspiring way that you think about the importance of your work and everything. So th- thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you guys for having me. And and I'll say, honestly speaking, I am honored that you guys even considered me for this because um, I am a newbie, you know, in the field. And, and when you were talking about that piece earlier, Mr. Howard, and people that are just now starting out and you're looking at others, like, why am I not there yet? And I want to get this piece. It's a constant battle sometimes as an owner to want to be 20 yards ahead and being okay with where you are. So I really do feel honored that you guys gave me this ability and this space to share this message. You bet. I hope you'll touch in with us every now and then and let us know how things are growing and going. Oh, definitely. I was like, Miss Sarah's going to have to update some more stuff on my website anyway. (laughs) I'm pretty sure she's going to be like, this girl is working my nerves. She's in like 12 or 20 places. How did she do this? (laughs) But definitely I will. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you so much. 
And we will put in the show notes from today's episode, all the information about your practice, and we'll put your social media links and all of that stuff. And we encourage all of the listeners to check out all of the amazing work that you are doing. Thank you, guys. Thank you, listeners. Hope it was helpful. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. We hope you found today's episode thought-provoking and helpful. We'd love to know what you think, so leave us a comment and don't forget to subscribe. You can find the show notes and additional resources at psychbiz.com. Thank you for listening.